If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today we're going to introduce Jamie Coman, who's a Level 3 Show Jumping Specialist Coach. He's been the national coach and he rides and competes at an international level, at World Cup and Olympic level. How are you today, Jamie? Very good, thanks, Janice. Um, great to catch up with you and um, hopefully this interview goes really good. <laughs> good to talk to you too, Jamie. Jamie, I'm going to start off by asking you your favourite quote. Look, there's many and there's some that can be aired and there's some that can't be aired. <laughs> but pretty well near enough isn't good enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you can tell me, I mean, I'm just picturing you teaching that if someone does something that's just not quite right. But if you can tell me how it's helped you in the past. What it's done is made me be very precise in, in what I want with my horses and given me a lot of discipline in making sure that everything is good as I can for my horse and for myself. And as in my teaching, I try and sort of really explain and, and get them that, that they want to be as good as they can be. Jamie, can you tell me about how you started with horses, what your first memories are? Uh, my vivid memories would be um, my parents had a dairy farm and then a beef farm. And I remember going to the dairy every morning with my father and we used to use just the horses then to bring the dairy herd in and he would always tie my pony to his horse's tail and we'd go off and, yeah, bring in the cattle and just growing up with horses. Obviously, then horses were a big thing on farms. So, yeah, yeah, just I, I was around horses all, all my life and yeah, just grew up with them. So, yeah, that's part of life was riding a horse. He must have had a very special horse as well to allow the pony to be tied to its tail. Yeah, you know, like nowadays you would never think to do that. Mm. And it was just one of those things. It was just part of nature, part of being on a farm, and that's how we grew up. Mm. So, yeah, it was great, very good. And I remember when, when we'd go and if it, if there was had been a flood or anything, the first and foremost thing he'd tell me, take my feet out of stirrup pines when we'd be crossing the creeks, you know, so I never got caught on my pony or got washed away or whatever. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah, some really good experiences in my life. Good, good. Show jumping, when did you start show jumping? What are your memories there? Oh, my memories are watching show jumping on TV when TV first mm-hmm. was, you know, out there. I remember watching, um, you know, the Olympics and seeing that and just thought, you know, wow, I would love to do that one day. You know, everyone has dreams and that, and you know, a lot of people never, ever can fulfil those full dreams. But I was very lucky, very lucky. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. And then going from watching TV and watching the Olympics to becoming a, a horse professional, professional rider, professional coach, what was that pathway like? You know, what were, what were the choices that you made? Because everyone makes choices. It's not a matter of saying of just it happening. You make choices for it to happen. So what were your choices? What were your reasons? Yeah. Look, I love sport. I would have loved to have played rugby league, but I was always told I wasn't big enough. And, you know, and just, yeah, it was always, I was always going to be injured doing that. 
I had to get a trade. I wanted to do a trade in case I got injured doing something, whether it was riding horses or playing football. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do a trade, which I done as a cabinet maker. Mm-hmm. So I had that there. And then with the horses, I just felt, you know, I could make something of it. Uh-huh. I looked at it as a young guy then, uh, as a business as well, as trying to produce horses for people and, and be able to make an income from that. So I went that direction because I, I obviously loved it. I, I had a really... There was just something about it. I was very passionate. I felt I could do things and work with horses, and so I went that direction. Mm-hmm. And if you see, because you, you would, you'd see people now thinking that they want to have a career with horses, what do you think are the core skills that they need to be able to work with horses, to work in the horse industry? You've got to be very understanding. Uh, you've got to be able to work with horses. You've got to be able to read horses. You've got to be able to... Mm-hmm look at it as a business it's very like it's quite expensive now to get into our sport you've just got to be very clever you know you've got to be very business-minded as well as being very good and natural with horses it's a whole big area now that you have to cover it's hard but it's very rewarding because a lot of people want to be with horses and think that working with horses is all just about brushing the horse and, you know, sitting around and going for a bit of a ride during the day. But it really is a lot yeah. more – it's physically demanding, isn't it? It is mm. very demanding. And we have young people that want to come and work with horses because they just dream of that's what they want to do. Mm. But when they see the other side of it of every morning at 6 o'clock up, cleaning stables, you know, feeding, and it goes on until 6 o'clock at night, it's they're long days. Mm. It's not super hard work, but it's – Long and you're working all day. You're always doing something with mm. them, and so yeah, yeah, it is a bit of a shock to some of them when they do come and they start to work. They do realise there is much more to it than they thought. You know. Yeah, yeah, and the business of it too. You know, making it's not yeah, just it's, doing it and cutting even. It's if you're in a business, you're in it to make a profit to be able to pay yourself. It, so approaching it, it as a business. Exactly. Mm. Exactly, yeah. That is the thing, you know. It is a business, uh, like any other business. You've got to be out there working all the time. And it's a homemade business, so you sort of do have to work really hard. And um, you have to have good staff around you to be able to do that. Yep, yep. Now, as an elite rider yourself, and you coach a lot of elite riders and elite competitors, what do they have that the others don't? Because a lot of people start in the horse industry, but only a few make it to that elite level. So what makes them outshine the others? Ah, oh, look, a lot of it is just how hard you work. You have to work, you know, and, and the ones that do become elite are the ones that are doing it every day and have the opportunity to be able to do it every day. And that's by maybe having their own business or having really good backers or sponsors. But it is seriously like a full-time job of just working and training and training, you know. Like every day you want something better when you train. And those ones that are prepared to put in those, those hard yards and work really hard, yeah, it, it, um, that they reap the rewards at the end. Do they have to be a bit strategic, you know, have a goal in mind? Because there's a lot of people work hard but seem to go just round and round in circles and don't yeah. really get ahead. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you see that in riders and, yeah, you, you do feel sorry for those people. But, yeah, it's just more, you know, a lot of it is luck. A mm. lot of it is luck as well, having the right horse at the right time. A lot of the guys, there's some super talented riders 
but they just can't afford to keep their horses. So, you know, they get mm. to a stage where that horse should be an elite horse and that rider should be an elite rider or is. Mm. But unfortunately, they have to sell their horse. Yes. You know, and, and that's just how it is. Um, that's, that's our business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about sponsors? How hard is it to get a sponsor and what do you need to offer a sponsor? Sponsors are very difficult. Sponsors are there and there's quite a lot of them. But in monetary-wise, very small percentage of money comes from it. You know, they, mm. they will help you with maybe your tack or, or feed or, um, you know, products for your horse and that. Mm-hmm. But money-wise, not a lot of it. Look, I've got a couple of sponsors that have been with me for a long, long time because mm-hmm. I've done the right thing by them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's not like someone's going to magically come along and offer you, you know, $250,000 a year as a wage and all your expenses. Is that right? That, that, that would be wonderful if that ever happened, but um, no, it, it, it doesn't happen like that. Our sport, in the rest of the world, in Europe and that, it is a major, major thing to watch. But here, it's I think because our country's so big, it's very hard to sort of, you know, really rein in people to come and watch enough of us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and which is a real shame, mm-hmm. real shame, because when we do get them there, they really enjoy themselves, you know. So, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Can you tell me about a person that's influenced you along your way? Yeah, yeah. Look, I've had some great advisors, great people behind me. Well, first and foremost, I'd have to start at home with my wife, Sue. She's been amazing. Keeps me level-headed because she knows how frustrated I can get because <laughs> I want to be there and I want to do it right. And that she's been a big influence on me, on, on me as a person and me as a rider. Yes, been amazing. And my daughter is a real backer. She backs me big time. We work as a family business. My daughter's husband, he sort of looks after the financial side of it, you know, making sure that this is organised and that's organised. And my wife, Sue, and, and my daughter, Haley and my son-in-law, Ryan, we all work in a family business. Sue and Haley both ride as well. Ryan, he has a CEO job, but he still looks after the finances. So, um, yeah, no, it's great. It's really good. Really okay, good, good. good. Major horses who've influenced you? You know, I could go back years ago that no one would know a lot of the ponies because I only rode in the country. I didn't ride in the city or mm. big shows and that. But look, in yesteryears, oh, from when I became an elite rider, I had a horse called Modra, which was a very good horse. Another horse that came from a good friend of ours, Rod Brown, and John Fay, a horse called Casual. He was the start of my winning World Cups. He was just an absolute wonderful horse to me. He went on to go to the Seoul Olympics, that horse, so that was lovely to see. A horse called Zazu, I went to the Games on in 2000, uh, Sydney Olympics. He was an amazing horse. He was everything you wish for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, he made me look very good. That's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's very humble of you to say that. It's good. Yeah. Okay, what's your proudest moment? Proudest moment? I suppose, um, again, I'll have to go back to the Games, which was, it was amazing. I was last to go on the first day and I had, everyone had stayed to watch me ride and the crowds were amazing. I'd never rode in front of a crowd like it was at the Olympics and, you know, I was last to go. It was such a long day. I was 79th, I think it was. I think there were 79 of us and I just had to wait and wait all day and just thinking, I've got to ride into this ring. Everyone has waited to, to watch me ride. Don't mess it up, you know. And um, he came away and the horse jumped amazing. He jumped unbelievable. I had a one down and a time fault and it sort of ranked me in the top three in the world. That was unbelievable. That was a feeling that I've never had before. Mm -hmm. And having my parents there to watch me, 
and my wife and daughter. And, uh, and just going back to the mess hall at the games, you know, and having all people that I'd never known, sports people that I'd never, never known. I'd seen them, but I, I didn't know who they were personally. And um, having people like Kathy Freeman, Kieran Perkins, those sort of people come and, you know, pat you on the back and say, you know, great, great today. You know, that was amazing. That's that's really good. Yeah, yeah. From, you know, like like it's one thing for other show jumpers to be watching you, even dressage people and eventers who've got the yeah. same interest, you know, basically the same interest. Yeah. They've gone in a different direction yeah. but the same interest. But when you've got people coming from other sports, wow, wow, that's really, yeah, really something. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And they're winning gold medals and that. Mm. You know, mm. it was just amazing, mm. amazing. So that always holds a lot in my mind, those sort of moments. All right, we're going to go on to some training exercises. Yeah. Tell me how important gymnastic exercises are. Look, they are extremely important to become precise yourself as a rider and for your horse to become athletic and gymnastic and what we would call sharp thinking, you know, be aware of where the top rail is or the back rail is on a jump. Mm -hmm. I use a lot of poles. If people understand um, that do train with me, it may be a little bit frustrating to them to start with, but I use a lot of poles on the ground. And as I say to them, your poles are like a bag of potatoes. You just throw that bag of potatoes anywhere and wherever those poles land, make something of it. Teach yourself to make an exercise from it. So uh-huh. pole work is very important because there we can make a little mistake and we don't scare our horse or we don't injure our horse and just with a pole on the ground. Uh-huh. So that's really important to me. And gymnastics that we use, we use, yes, to keep the horse very confident without making it work too hard and try too hard because, you know, you want to save your best jump for in the ring, but you want them feeling good in themselves and sharp in their mind and good with their technique. Mm -hmm. Some people build very, very big gymnastics. Um, I'm not a great believer in that. I like to keep the money at, you know, at 110 maximum height Mm -hmm. and that's enough because I have to work hard enough. Tell me a gymnastic exercise that you use. I've got a favourite little one where I have... I thought um, you'd have a favourite. Ele- yeah. yeah, if I said... Yeah. Yep. I've got one that um, had an elevated rail, which I call an elevated rail, is about 20 centimetres off the ground. Yep. I like to have what I'm going to say is 14 walking paces, normal walking paces, to another elevated pole off the ground mm-hmm. at 30 centimetres. And then I walk... I'm talking in feet, which I apologise, but um, it's easier to um, work out in feet. Yeah, Uh, I walk ten feet um, to yeah, just a nice little vertical or oxer, and it just gets them. First one is because normally the first elevated is that they'll look through, so they might make a little mistake over that. So they learn to actually focus early and learn to jump that first little elevator. The second one is where I want them to sit behind the saddle, so I want their hocks and, and their hindquarters sitting and be able to, to jump that next elevator from their back end, then be able to use their scope to jump the fence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go over that again. So you've got an elevated rail. Did you say 14 walking paces, 14 feet? Yep, 14 walking paces. Okay. So I'm going to say 14 yards. Yes, okay, um, which is three feet yep, to a yard. Yep. All right, so 42 feet, then an elevated rail, then a... Ten foot, then and then ten to feet, a, to, a to, oxer. to to a fence. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, vertical or oxer. Okay, yep. okay, that's good. 
Oh, just let me interrupt and let people know about the horse industry qualifications at Online Horse College. Have a look at the flexible options with online theory. The practical components can be completed by video or with qualified experts in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. Tell me about, because you talked about staff before, tell me about some jobs that you've got people you know, people who work for you, the sort of jobs that they do. And this is to give some listeners a bit of an insight because not everyone wants to go on and ride. People want to work in the horse industry without riding, you know, for different reasons they don't ride, but they still want to work with horses. They still want to get the connection and the daily rewards of working in the horse industry. What sort of jobs do you have that people have had with you? Yeah, like most of them, most of them just uh, like I've got a very good boy that works for me now and he loves horses. Mm-hmm. His interest to ride horses is not really there, but doesn't mean that he doesn't want to be with the horses. So he loves to tack them up for us, uh, saddle them up, um, do the boxes, feeding. Feeding is very important. You have to have the trust in your staff that the ride horse is getting the right feed and you know, we always have a big board, big whiteboard there, everything's written down, everything's changed. So they, they sort of saddle up the horses and hose them off, put them in the paddocks. Some go out for maybe an hour, some go out all day. And so, yeah, they do different sort of jobs. And, you know, some people just don't actually want to ride. They just want to work with horses, mm. understand um, the confirmation of a horse, treating horses like looking after them. Um, you know, they might need um, something for a cough or something. They learn how to do all that. Bandaging, learning how to do all the bandaging of horses. Yeah, just everyday things that, yeah, that they feel they can be really responsible to do and feel they can do it. And look, they get as much out of us winning a class as what we do, you know, like they, they love it. You know, if you've got good staff, they'll always ask you when they when we get home, how did they go? Yes. You know, and, and you know that they love it. That you know that they want to be a part of it and be involved. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. There's, there's a lot more to um, working with horses than just a job, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they feel, you know, they've helped get those rewards for you and, yep. and that's what you want them to feel like, yep. um, that they are they are part of the team, mm. you know, and, and they are appreciated. Oh, there was something that I was going to ask you when we were talking about the gymnastic exercises because I know you train a lot of eventers. It's not you don't just train show jump riders, you train event riders for the show jumping phase. Yeah. What's the difference between training event, or do you notice the difference between training eventers and training show jumpers? Oh, very much so. There is a big difference. We can prep a horse and have a horse peaked for a class in show jumping, whereas to have an eventer prepared and and peaking for three disciplines is is seriously hard. And these horses, uh, you know, I, I admire the eventers, uh, the eventing horses. I think they are they are something very special because what they do and the top end ones, what how they can do it and and pull off three phases or three different disciplines and be, be good at all of them is amazing. Yeah, so there is a big difference in preparing a show jumper to an, uh, an eventer um, for our show jumping. You know, because we've we've gone from galloping hard as at 570 metres per minute or whatever they, they run at or mm-hmm. 550, yep. um, they're coming back to having them ride a, a show jumping course of very careful gear, uh, of very careful poles, jumping gear at 375 or 350 metres per minute or 375 and having them still want to 
get in the air and jump. Whereas the cross-country fences, they don't want them to jump so big. They want them to jump, you know, just jump them to save energy and, that, and to make time. If they jump too high and too big, they waste time. So to bring them from cross-country back to show jumping, it's really, really hard, really hard. So, um, you know, we do different little exercises. I do a little trotting exercise for the eventing horses for show jumping just to slow the horse back down get them working their legs again where we need them, getting the rider back in a different position because they ride cross-country nearly always two-point. Mm-hmm. So they're out of the saddle and galloping. Show jumping, they've got to go back to a three-point seat a lot of the time. So it's just structuring your work and, and knowing each horse, knowing when you walk a course of show jumping, some of the event horses, they will actually take one less stride than a show jumping horse would take mm. um, because they've naturally been galloping. So there's different distances on courses where I'll get some of my riders to take one less stride than the normal regulated stride, you know. So there's a lot to it. It's, it I love it. It really makes me think about how we're going to prep each horse. And we don't know how the horse is going to be until after it's cross country. We never really know what we're working until we pass our trot up next morning before the show jumping. Yep. So yep. Yep. It's a totally different ball game altogether. Uh-huh. All right. Have you got a book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Look, I'm not a big reader, and I don't. I don't. Everything I've sort of done in my own career, uh, how I have learnt, is just by watching, watching and listening. I'm a big fan of just sitting at the if I'm at a big show, uh, whether it's here or in Europe or wherever, more so at the practice area than in the main arena. Uh, just seeing how they warm in, how they do things, you know. Mm. Uh, everyone has their own little system of how they prepare for each class. Yep. So you're really oh, using that. Oh, sorry. You're really using that yeah. as your yep. something to complement your own riding. So it's not just about riding and riding and riding. It's about learning, you know, from books, from other people, from videos to yes. complement your writing. Yep. yep, yep. Yes. And, you know, the only sort of books I've read are sort of a thoroughbred book and, you know, of Bart Cummings, his life and career. Oh, and, yeah. um, that was amazing, you know, how his father and grandfather and then himself and how their dynasty has come through now. And um, just reading and just reading Bart's book was amazing, um, just in – how he really backed himself through, you know, good times and hard times, mm-hmm. you know, and how he came out the other end as one of the most amazing racehorse trainers ever mm. and, and, you know, always will be, yep. you know. So so that was a good influence on me in, in just getting my head around that, you know, you just got to keep going. you just got to yeah. keep at it and you will get the rewards. Yep, yep. What are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold? My future is staying as a very good coach, being a very good coach, being there for for normal riders and elite riders that they to me in my eye they are all the same and they are coached and trained the same in, in different different levels but I want to give my best to whether I'm teaching a first year rider or a rider going to the Olympics nothing changes for me and that's what I say to a lot of my riders I teach a lot of riders that only want to ride at a level and that's that and they understand that but I will give them the best knowledge and the best help with their training that I can. Mm, it it mm, doesn't doesn't change. Mm-hmm. doesn't change from an amateur to a, an elite. Yep, yep. Jamie, how can people contact you? Just through my wife's um, email address, yep. which is, um, I think you've got that. So, yes, I do. Um, yep. Drop me that. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah, and through that. And our new farm is called um, Good Spill. Oh, good. Farm. Yep. It's a lovely property and, and we're setting it up and we're underway with it. It's all very good. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll get those contact details and we'll put them on our page, which is horsechats.com slash Jamie Coman, because we'll give you your page for yep. the for the show. It's been wonderful talking to you, Jamie. It's been very good. Hopefully some people have learned from that, you know, your guidance and direction that you've given them and they'll um, they'll go on and do amazing things from listening to you. So thanks very much. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.